0: You're listening to audio from Embassy Church. We exist to advance the message and ministry of Jesus in the city of Bloomington, on the campus of IU, and to the ends of the earth. Amen. Thank you, Bree. How are we doing this morning, Embassy? I love the song that we just sung, um, it, uh, it, it made me smile, you know when you have um, just something that kind of gives you nostalgia and you think back, there's a line in the song we just sung that says, my name is Graven on his hands, um, and one of my best friends growing up, um, man, God started to do a lot, of, a lot of stuff in his life in college, and um, we would have a lot of conversations about God, right, the, the, the fun stuff when you're in college, you're just roomies and you stay up late and you start talking about stuff, and I remember this one conversation where he asked this one really like tricky question that's just been like stuck in his head for a long time um, about, about God. We were talking about spiritual stuff and he goes, man, you know that song we sing all the time and he's talking about, you know, the church we would go to when we were at LSU and he kind of like hums it and I'm like, yeah, he goes, man, who's Graven? Like I can't figure out who Graven is. And I just loved it. I loved it because... Um, I grew up in and around church, right? Those things were familiar to me, but, but my buddy didn't. And it was just the most innocent, honest question, you know? Um, to be able to kind of go, well, Graven isn't a person, Graven is, you know, engraved. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, if, if you're here and those songs are new to you, they're strange to you, I'm super glad you are. Um, and I hope you keep coming, and I hope, I hope what you hear here uh, starts to make sense in a way that it really does change your life, because it changed my buddies. Um, so, uh, like Bree said, we're going to continue on in our sermon series, uh, Union, where we're looking at the book of Ephesians. Um, and Ephesians is the right book for right now for us as a church plant because um, the church plant that it was written to is a lot like us, okay? Um, Ephesus is a lot like Bloomington, right? E-Town is a lot like B-Town. Uh, it struggled a lot with the same things our, our culture struggles with. The sensualism, the, the, the pluralism, the materialism, all the isms are really similar when you when you look at just the context that this church plant was set in uh, 2000 years ago in the, the ancient city of Ephesus, even compared to this modern city that is Bloomington. Um, and, and the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to this church plant in E-Town um, to help them understand what the church was and how to be it, all right? What the church was and how to be it. And I think for us as a church plant, um, there's no better understanding that we could have. Um, what are we trying to do here, right? Because even the church plant can be this kind of jargon, this Christianese that you throw out. And it's like, what is that? Uh, and the reality is um, we all have a concept of what it is. We all have a concept of what the church is, even if you didn't grow up in it or around it. Um, there's, there's something you're coming to the table with. Um, or to use an analogy, I grew up before whiteboards. Uh, we actually had a thing called chalkboards. Um, and chalkboards were harder to erase. And sometimes whiteboards are if you get the cheap ones, you know. It's like you're trying to erase and you're like, uh-oh, you know. Um, but But we're all coming to... Our relationship with God and even this more specific experience of showing up at embassy uh, with some things already scribbled on our chalkboard that, that couldn't even be erased if we tried, okay? Uh, and, and in a way, what I hope we do as we sit under the word of God um, is that the right things get written, um, a, a proper understanding is had of, of who God is and who we are in light of him. And again, what the church is and what its role is in the world. And so Ephesians really nicely breaks, it's six chapters, and nicely breaks into gospel position and gospel practice. Um, what the gospel does in changing a person, and changing their position, their relationship to God from enemy to family, all right, to son or daughter. But then uh, the gospel then pushes the Christian out into practice. But the Christian works from something, not for something. There's always effort in the Christian life, but there's never earning in the Christian life. And that's really different. That's really key. If you find yourself earning or if you feel you're exhausted, you're probably working to earn something, um, you're not working out of the gospel, right? You're you're really practicing um, conservatism. You're practicing moralism. You're practicing biblicism. You're practicing a lot of isms, but you're not practicing Christianity, okay? Um, And so uh, it's really important for us to understand what the church is, as this new humanity that God is recreating, as He recreates all the cosmos. Um, that's the Christian hope, the recreation of all things as they once are, uh, as they, they were intended to be. And they will be again. Um, like, what is the church, and then what it should it look like? So, that's where we're going, big picture. Um, more specifically, where we're going this morning, um, we're going to talk about prayer. Um, this passage that Bree just read um, is a prayer. And you have a little card uh, on your seat. Uh, if you don't know, you do, you're sitting on it. Um, but we'll, we'll look at that on the back end of the service together because I want to have a time of, of corporate individual prayer, if we can do it that way. Um, but the most famous prayer that we have is what we call the Lord's Prayer. You can find it in Luke 11. You can find it in Matthew 6. Um, but this um, behind the Lord's Prayer, I'd say, is a perfect model prayer. It's a perfect guide prayer. How should we pray? And I think that's an interesting question because prayer is one of those sometimes public, mostly private things that we do. Um, and so even Jesus' disciples, they saw him praying and they said, please teach us, you know, because there's a lot of things you can pick up pretty easily if you get around Christians, especially those that are a step ahead um, from a maturity standpoint. But prayer is one of the harder ones because, like I said, it's, it's, it's less public and more private. And so we, we think we're praying the right way. Um, we think we have the right kind of um, framework to it, um, but but do we? Um, so I want to ask a few questions for us as we as we jump into Ephesians 1, 15 through 23, but do you feel like you know how to pray? Do you feel like you know how to pray? Do you have confidence that you're praying the right way if you're a Christian, or about the right things? Do you wish you had a better understanding of how to pray and what to pray for? And I want you to just kind of consider your prayers. Consider what your prayer life, to use a phrasing that's, that's common vernacular, um, what does your prayer life say, okay? Consider your prayers. What motivates you to pray? What motivates you to pray more often than not, all right? What's the matter that your prayers are made up of, the material of your prayers? What's the content of it, all right? And then who do you pray through? Who do you pray through? Is there a mediator to your prayers, all right? Are your prayers mostly proactive or are they mostly reactive? Are they mostly self-centered, if you're honest? Are they mostly God-centered? Are your prayers mostly thank yous or please helps? What are your prayers? Like I'll go another way. If if your prayers could be recorded kind of like your text messages and you could like just, you know, email Verizon or AT&T and get the record of your prayers, what would that record tell you about what you believe about prayer? Tell you about the frequency of your prayers, the duration of your prayers, maybe even the content of your prayers. My hope is that as we look at this kind of guide to prayer, we'd be a people that can pray better, okay, because prayer is pretty important. We'd be a people that can pray better, okay? And so this is where we're going, all right? I want to look at the motivation of our prayers, then the material, then the mediator, okay? And I'm going to move us through these these short chunks of verses, 15 all the way down uh, through 23, but I want to look at the motivation of our prayers. What's the impetus for them? Um, What's the material, what's the content of them, and what's the mediator? It's really a who. Who's the one that forwards our prayers, okay? So look at Ephesians 1, um, verse 15, all right? What motivates you in your prayers? Here the Apostle Paul says, um, this is why, since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I never stop giving thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. Now, um, what I want you to notice um, is what the Apostle Paul notices about these Christians' in E-Town, okay? What he notices is their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and their love for the saints, all right? Their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and their love for the saints. Um, <clears throat> what he notices is the work of God, the grace of God in their life, right? He sees it. He's, he's gazing through the lens of the gospel and he sees these fruits of faith and love, which are evidences of the Holy Spirit at work in someone, Okay? The, the, these things are not normative you know, human behaviors, especially faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and love for those that are in him, love for other Christians, all right? And so um, I just want to point out how awesome it is that the Apostle Paul, one steps back and stares at the, the general just work of God in human history, but then in seeing the work of God in human, human history, he's able to see the specific work of God in the lives of the people around him, all right? He's able to see the work of God in his life. He's able to notice it, to identify it, okay? Um, is it hard for you to identify the work of God in the lives of others or in your life, all right? Um, what evidences are you looking for? How do you know that you see the spirit of God at work, okay? And a lot of times we, 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 we think we know because, you know, man, they, they, they blare Christian music and they wear a cross, and, right? We have all these things that we call evidences, but for Paul it was faith, and love, and he was gospel-gazing, all right? And because Paul saw something, he said something. And this is what I love about it. He, he's going, man, I want to talk to God for you, church. I want to talk to God for you. And this is what his prayer consists of. Now, I want to point out one other thing before we jump into the prayer, um, because I want us to get the context that we see it in, okay? Um. Again, Paul recognizes what God is doing in redemptive history generally in the response to this eulogy of praise, right? Where we looked at verses 13 through 14. Paul goes, man, I want to pray this prayer. Um, and, and this is really simple but really important about what prayer should look like for the Christian. Prayer should be followed, or excuse me, prayer should follow praise, all right? Um, prayer that's led by praise is far more likely to hit its mark and reach its destination. And I want us to think about this for a second. want gonna give you a couple uh, illustrations. Um, <clears throat> praise is the fetters to Christian prayer. Right, you know what fetters are? Feathers, fetters on an arrow, all right? You shoot an arrow without fetters, uh, or feathers, it's actually fetters, but either way, feathers, right, that's fun, that's confusing. Um, you shoot an arrow without fetters and that's not gonna hit his mark. Right? You can put as much force behind it, you can aim it as hard as you can, but that thing, you don't really know where it's going. Um, or I'll give another analogy. Allison and I, uh, maybe about 12 years ago uh, now, um, we were dating. And somehow I convinced Allison to fly to South America and um, hike the Andes Mountains with me. So I was in South America already for that summer. We were doing some church planning, some college ministry uh, in, in Bolivia. And I said, man, I want to stay I would love for you to come down. My brother did, some other friends, she came down. And for seven or eight days, we hiked through the Andes Mountains all the way to Machu Picchu, this lost city of the Incas. And it was awesome. I couldn't imagine doing that without a guide, without a Sherpa, I would be lost. And not only would I be lost, I would be exhausted because these dudes are studs, right? I'm from New Orleans, I'm from below sea level. I was hiking for eight days in the mountains, like gasping for air. Right, and these Sherpas, um, which is technically Nepal, but you, you can use it, you know. Right, these Sherpas have not just their gear, but mine, and they're running past me in like thong sandals, like Jace Rody wears, you know. And it's freezing, right? And so I'm in all this gear, I'm huffing and puffing, I'm just like man, right? And so Sherpas, in a sense, are a a guide, okay, for an, a hiker in a way that that praise is a guide for prayer. When we orient ourselves to the purposes of God and we pray from something, right? When our prayers are God-centered, they're going to hit their mark, okay? Right? There's so much about the Christian posturing themselves in the right way when they go before God. And I guarantee you, if you start your prayer with praise, your prayers are going to change and they're going to hit their mark more often than not, right? They're going to climb the mountain and get where you want them to go. But too often, we don't orient our prayers that way, right? Our prayers are not thank yous, they're, they're please helps. Our prayers are not God-centered, they're, they're us-centered. Our prayers are not a probiotic, they're an antibiotic. Are you tracking with me? Do you have kids? Our prayers are not a probiotic, they're an antibiotic. Paul is praying this prayer as a probiotic over this church in E-Town. And again, what we're going to see is the, the content of the prayer is Powerful. It's not all reactive. It's not all responsive. It's not all, man, give them what they want, but they don't really need. It's You've already given them what they need. Help them understand it. Okay? So um, look at the material of the prayer. Look at 17 through 19. It's a really simple prayer, but a really powerful one. Okay? Really simple prayer, but really powerful one. Paul prays two things. Verse 17 says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. Okay? So the first prayer is a prayer for someone, and the second part of the prayer is a prayer for something. Okay? Who's the someone? That God the Father would give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him. What the Apostle Paul was praying over this church is that God would give them the spirit to illumine what's true, okay? To make known what's true. Because without the spirit, we can't know and understand God. Even right now, as we're, we're sitting under the word of God, the only way you're actually hearing what is being said is the spirit of God is, is, is hopefully opening the eyes of your heart, hopefully bringing conviction so that you can, you can turn to God, that you can respond to him. Right, that's not a natural thing. The Christian is not someone who reasons themselves to God. The Christian is someone who comes to God by revelation. Does that make sense? Right, like, like we, are, we are so walking in darkness because of, of sin's effect on our hearts, that we're just bumping into things, you know? I don't know if you've ever like been uh, in in a house where maybe the breakers get flipped and you're just trying to walk around. You know, I grew up in South Louisiana, we have a lot of hurricanes. And so at at times the the power goes out and and you're just bumping into stuff. When the Holy Spirit comes into your life, he flips the lights on. You're able to see God for who he really is, right? And, And it's shocking because when you see a holy God for who he is, you start to see you for who you are. And you, you, you sense for the first time your sin, and it's just like, whoa. And then hopefully, not just the law, but you see the gospel, you see God's response to your sin by sending his son to die for you, die in your place. And it, it blows your mind, but, but, but everything starts to change when you become gospel gazing, doesn't it? When, the, when your heart's light switch gets flipped on, because you get to see reality for what it is, right? Now, now stay with the analogy for a little bit. Apart from Christ, we're walking in darkness. We don't see it. And, man, there's a lot of hurt and pain and brokenness in our life. We're just bumping into Ottomans. I don't really know what an Ottoman is, but we're bumping into that, right? There's a lot of pieces of furniture that we have. I don't know what they are. They don't serve purposes. They just fill corners in my house. There's too many corners. We want to put some furniture in there, you know? And you're bumping into it, and you're going, man, why does that hurt? You know, whether it be this relationship or, or, or this dynamic in your life or this experience, whatever it is, right? And then you come to Christ and you start to see like, man, God has a design for this world. And until the light switch got flipped on and I saw reality as he sees it, I was just kind of walking into walls. Paul's prayer for this church in E-Town is that the spirit would illuminate what's true about God for these believers. God doesn't change. It's us who are more aware of who God is. That we would see God for who he is. Okay? It's a powerful prayer. All right? So I want to read this real quick. This is 2 Corinthians 4. Um, you'll see this a later, later in Ephesians 4. Uh, you can see this in Colossians. This language of, of, of illumination is all over the New Testament, especially with the Apostle John, um, where he picks up this, this light and dark imagery. But... Um, the Apostle Paul writes it this way in Second Corinthians 4. Talking about the gospel, he says, If our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of, the, of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. You see what that's saying? It's saying that apart from Christ, we are blinded by the God of this world, by Satan. We can't see the glory of God. And it's when the gospel comes in and we see Christ for who he is that we can see the Father for who he is. Okay? And all this is the work of the Spirit shining a spotlight on the Son and the Father, and we can actually not just see them, but see ourselves and see everything around us for what it always has been. The light switch of our hearts is is flipped on. And this is what Paul prays for for these Galatian or excuse me, these Ephesian Christians. Alright, so that's the who. Now look at the what. All right. Who illuminates the Spirit, but what does he illuminate? And there's three really interesting things. Paul prays that they know someone and that in knowing someone, that someone being the spirit, they know something, something about the father, okay? Three things. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know, and he says this, the hope of his calling, the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the mighty working of his strength, all right? So three things about the father that... The Apostle Paul prays that this church in Etown knows, all right? Three things that you need to know if you're a Christian. You need to know God the Father's calling, God the Father's inheritance, God the Father's power, all right? His calling, his inheritance, and his power. And I'm trying to simplify it because a lot of times we can read Ephesians and it's like really lofty language. And you're like, it sounds beautiful and you just kind of get into it. But it's a really concrete prayer, all right? And I want to I wanna kind of take them one by one really quickly the hope of his calling, what would change if you knew the hope of God's calling in your life, okay? Um, now, in, in, in the Greek right here, that's, that's beneath the English, if you will, um, hope has a different connotation. In our, in our language, in, in, in English, hope kind of connotes uncertainty, right? It's a, it's a cross your fingers kind of thing. Um, in, in the Greek, hope connotes the act, actual opposite, right? It's, it's complete certainty, all right? So what Paul's saying is, man, if you knew the hope of God's calling in your life, you would have utmost confidence, utmost assurance, all right, that, that, that because God started something in your life, he's going to finish it through, right? God's going to carry you on. Now, how could this be beneficial, all right? Practical implications. Man, when you struggle, right, when there's suffering that comes in your life, when there's struggle that comes in your life, it may be because of your own sin. It may be because of someone else's sin. It may be because of just the brokenness of the world. How powerful is it to know the hope of God's calling, that he called you first to be his son or his daughter, and he's going to finish what he started? Can you imagine what that does for your sense of security, your sense of identity? Identity. The fact that you're not going to get who you are out of you performing for God, you're going to get who you are out of how God performed for you. You see, again, this is not just some little thing. If we would start to pray prayers like this over ourselves, over our friends, over our church, over our family, things would radically start to change. Paul says, I want you to know the hope of his calling. I want you to know the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Um, wealth. Let's talk about wealth real quick. Um, wealth and riches are not the same thing. You know, riches. You know, you, you got, It kind of connotes money, material stuff. But a wealthy man, a lot of times, is as you say that when they're they're not just materially wealthy, they're they're relationally wealthy, if you will, right? They're they're loved by someone, right? Beautiful marriage. Of, of decades, right, 40, 50, 60 years, not just a, a, a spouse um, that loves him, but, but kids and family, right? It's a wealthy man that lived a good life, okay? Um, wealth, when it comes to this picture that the, the Apostle Paul is giving, right, it's talking about our relationship to our Heavenly Father, okay? That our inheritance is God himself, that in a sense, we are actually God's inheritance. It's talking about our relationship with him, not these like riches of gold in heaven, right? The Christian wants to get to heaven because that's where God is. The Christian's goal is God. It's not what he provides for us, all right? So I want you to think about this for a second. We're um, expecting baby number four soon, actually really soon. So November 6th, what's today, 8th? Today's the 8th? Yeah, that's terrifying. All right, we're expecting a fourth human to show up. Like, there'll be two humans that walk in that, that delivery room and then three that, well, one's going to get carried out. But that's crazy, right? That's crazy. And that is going to be very soon, okay? And when I think about me and Allie, um, in a sense, you know, the baby boy is our inheritance. That's how I want you to think about it, all right? This baby boy is, is our inheritance. Before he... Has ever been born? We have been preparing for his arrival. All right, we've been praying for his arrival. We've been setting up the room. We've been setting up the crib. I mean, we've been thinking through names—a lot of names. Okay, I'm thinking through the nicknames that some punk kid in second grade could give him and like really like mess with him. Right? You got to think through all the things. We've been hanging up clothes. We've been clearing out our calendar. We've been preparing for him, and he hasn't even showed up yet, okay? We have been praying for him, we've been praying for his future, we've been praying for the friends that he's gonna have, we've been praying for the spouse that God would hopefully graciously give him. Do you know that, that God in the same way has been preparing for you if you're his, you're his inheritance? Since before you ever even realized it, before the foundations of the world, he's been setting up your crib, preparing your nursery, hanging up your baby clothes, Praying for you in a sense. What would change if you understood that more deeply? What would change if you realized that was more and more true in your life every day? How would you view God? How would you relate to him? If you ever struggle with your self-worth, how would that challenge that or encourage that? If you ever lose sight of who you are, what would your inheritance say? that you needed to hear in that moment. Don't you see how just immensely practical, immensely pragmatic this prayer is, if you really drill it down? That the things that we pray for, the the antibiotic prayers, right, the the reactive prayers, the God please help prayers, they have a place, but so much our prayer life is oriented the wrong way. And what the Apostle Paul realizes is, is what's true that we looked at in Ephesians 1, 3. That God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. And and the big gap that He wants to close is us realizing what's already true. And living out of that. And that becomes powerful. Then the immeasurable greatness of his power. The immeasurable greatness of his power. We're gonna tack onto that in a second. But but ultimately, the, the prayer is to know someone to know something, okay? And I want to point this out that, that, again, Paul is praying backwards. These are backwards prayers, all right? Most of our prayers are forwards. Most of our prayers are self-centered, not God-centered. Most of our prayers don't follow praise. Like this prayer is, is strange. And again, I think that's why it's powerful to take it and understand it maybe Hey, memorize it like you would the Lord's Prayer. To be a guide for prayer in your life. I'm a big country music fan. I'm a 90s country music fan. Let me, let me rephrase that because country music today, don't get me started. Don't get me started. I'm a 90s country music fan. There's a great 90s uh, song. Actually, could it be older? No, I think it's early 90s. Sammy Kershaw. Anybody know Sammy Kershaw? A few nods. She Don't Know She's Beautiful. Great song. All right, Queen of My Double Wide Trailer, even better song. All right, look him up. Um, all right, I, I'll, I'll be a little more current, a little more hip to the times. One Direction, all right? You don't know you're beautiful, right? What, what, what's, what do we love about a song like these? You know, Sammy Kershaw or, or One Direction, Harry Styles, um, what, what is it playing on? It's not only is the gal beautiful, it's beautiful that they don't know they're beautiful, you know? Or uh, if you watch any, you know, um, you know, music competition, American Idol, Britain Got Talent, which is way better, um, any of that, the voice, you know, you, you hear this a lot from the judges. It's like, not only do you have an amazing voice, you just don't realize how good you are. I love how humble you are because you don't know it. All right. In a sense, what the judges are trying to do, what Sammy Kershaw or, or Harry Styles is trying to do is get that person to realize what's already true that they just don't realize to move them from ignorance to illumination. What the apostle Paul is trying to do in his prayers is that the Holy Spirit would work in your life in such a way that you would start to realize what's already true. You don't know you're beautiful. right? You don't know you're that talented. You don't know you're that loved by a God that created all things. And in Christ is recreating all things, and that should transform your life. That should transform your life. Lastly, and I said we're going to get to the the power piece, but I want to look at the the mediator of our prayers. All right, if the first two are more of a what, um, this is really more of a who. Okay, um, I said earlier that that praise is is maybe the guide to prayer. Okay, um, it's it's a surefire way to put put the right fetters on your arrow so that it gets to its target, right? It's the sure way um, to not just get lost in the Andes, but make sure you get to the destination that you wanna to get to, okay? That, that, that your prayers get there. But there's a, there's a, a greater Sherpa, right? There's a who um, that the Apostle Paul ultimately has to tie all this stuff to that helps him know that, that yeah, our prayers are heard and our prayers are, are answered, okay? Look at verses 20 through 23. He says this, he says, he, being God, exercised this power in Christ. And he did this by raising him from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He subjected everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. I mean, that is a dynamite passage, a dynamite passage where where Paul starts talking about the power of God and he launches into the power of God on display in human history, which is the resurrection and the ascension of Christ, right? It's taking a dead man and bringing him back to life as the first fruits of the recreation and ascending him right to the right hand of himself in heaven. All right, um, this is what I want you to get, two things out of this really quick. Um, because Christ sat down, he can hold up. I want you to see the preeminence of Christ and Paul's understanding. Again, we talked about this last week that you can't overestimate Christ and God's salvific plan. You can't, you can't make too much a big deal about him, right? He's the pole in the tether ball that, that, that everything spins around. And if that pole is moved or shrinks or, or is less sturdy, right, you just have a ball and a string sitting in the dirt. But everything rotates around him. In in this cosmic Christ, for whom, by whom, and through whom all things were created. Where, where God said, Let there be, and there was. And I want you to think about that. With his word spoke. And boom, dynamite, power. That word came in the flesh. Boom, dynamite, power. And he's pointing to the, not just the gospel more generally, but, but more specifically, the power of God on display in it. And when we realize this, I think things start to change for us. Or let me say it in a negative sense. Um, things don't change for us until we really realize this. Do you know, Christian, that the power that is at work in you right now is the same power that raised Christ from the grave and seated him at the right hand of the Father? That means, all right, practical implication. That means there is not a thing that you're going through that God can't handle. I understand you got brokenness in your life. I understand you got pain in your life. I understand you got hurt in your life. But there's there's not a single thing that God's power can't overcome and can't address. All right? There's not a single temptation, a single sin stronghold. That God's power can't work out in your life. And if you believe the opposite, you're believing what's not true. You're believing a lie. This is God's power in our life. At my dinner table growing up, uh, my dad sat at the head of the table, all right? And the head changed, right? He's a funny guy. He likes jokes. Um, The head changed, so if I ever like sat you know, at the head of the table, he would say, no, where I sit is always the head, and you're sitting at the butt. I bet, really, Dad? Really? Um, so anyway, my dad, wherever he sat was the head, even if he sat, you know, not at what I would think would be the head, you know? I don't, I don't know if you can do that, but he did that, and he claimed it. And, and my wife always, uh, my wife, my mom, that's weird. I am from the South, but we don't do that. <laughs> my mom, Louisiana, not Alabama, Louisiana, my mom, dude, I was hating on Texas and now I'm hating on Alabama. But y'all don't know the difference. It's just the South, right? You know? That's how we think about the Midwest. It's all one state. Um, Idaho, corn, yeah. All right. Um, we're back. My dad always sat at the head of the table and my mom always sat at his right hand. And this is important because I'm one of seven kids, right? I didn't eat a lot as a kid, right? My mom would just like throw one little chicken wing and then we'd like scrap for it, you know? We didn't have a lot of food. I was like in the middle, middle child and like I just didn't get a lot of food. My older brothers are stronger. Anyway, you know, that's not true. Um, If there was a final biscuit though, like because my dad was at the head, he got the biscuit. And if he didn't get the biscuit, um, you know, there was one person that had my dad's ear and it was my mom. Okay, and because I was the favorite child, I'd be like, "Mama, please, biscuit," right? And she would whisper into his ear, and I get that biscuit. It was great. Well, this is a terrible analogy. I've gone off the rails. Um, I'm simply trying to point out that there, there, there's, there's privilege in sitting at the right hand. All right, it's the hand of authority. It's the hand of power. It's it's the one position that sits under the king but over the kingdom. And it's the person that has the ear of the king. Do you understand, Christian, why you pray in Jesus' name? Is that just a weird tagline you kind of throw on the end of your prayers? It's like, uh, Jesus' name, right? Do you understand what you're doing when you're eliciting the name of Jesus as your mediator? That the one in whom you're in, right, might, might... Mediate between your requests and the Father's response. And just think about the imagery there. Who has the Father's ear? Why would you ever pray through a lesser being? Through a saint? If you grew up Catholic, if you read the first part of Ephesians, we're all saints, not by any of our effort or works, not because a miracle is done through our name, but because God in his graciousness makes us holy. That's what saint is, sanctus, sanctus holy. Why would you pray through any lesser being in the cosmos? Only one sits at the right hand of God the Father, and the way that he does is because God in his power resurrected him and ascended him at his right hand. And that tomb is empty, and you can go look for it. You can go try and find his body. It's not there. And it's the start of something grand that God is recreating. In the Greek, the, the idea for power or the word for power is dynamis. It's where we get our word dynamite. Dynamis. It was nothing short of divine dynamite, if you will, that rose Christ from the dead, seated him at the right hand of the Father. And you need to understand that divine dynamite, if you're a Christian, is at work in your life. It's at work in your life to transform you and to change you. And Paul's prayer is that you would understand the gospel more and more and more. Right, That that your understanding of the gospel, of just grasping what God is doing, is the key. That God's doing it. You don't need to do it, but you do need need to understand what he's doing. I think a lot of times um, we we think of our hearts as almost like Plato Right so, so I hate Play-Doh. By the way, I hate I hate gack, I hate um, sprinkles. I hate I hate all those things that n- most children enjoy cuz I have a dark heart. Um, no, I don't like cleaning it all up and Play-Doh is all over my house a lot of times. Um, a lot of times we, we think we think our, our hearts are Play-Doh, right? Whereas if we, if we maybe just left Play-Doh out on the kitchen counter overnight, it gets a little hard but like man, we can kind of work it out. Just a little bit of water, a little bit of kneading and, and we're good. The Bible's estimation of your heart and mind is it's Indiana limestone. It's Indiana limestone and nothing short of divine dynamis has broken through in your life to change you. Nothing short of divine dynamis is working in your life to change you. And if you're not a Christian, you need to hear that you can't clean yourself up, fix yourself up, shape yourself up. Do you understand what the resurrection and the ascension says about your need for God to work in your life? That that power had to be exerted. And what's true is that the same power that, that, that rose Christ from the grave, that, that, that ascended Christ to the right hand of God is at work in the Christian, and we just need to realize it. And it's a crazy prayer because it's just, hey, this is happening, understand it. But it's my prayer for us as a church. And I I dream about what we would be like if we knew this more and more to be the case. I dream about what kind of people we would become, beautiful people, changed by the power of God if we knew this more and more to be true. So this is what I want to do as an application. I want you to take the card that you're sitting on Um, And I want to uh, invite the band to kind of come up and and play behind us a little bit. Um, But I want to provide some space in this space for us to pray a powerful prayer like this, a divine dynamist prayer like this, over our own lives, over the lives of our friends and our spiritual family that are sitting next to us, um, over the lives of family that you have that aren't in this room. But I want us to actually take some space, take some time to, to pray a prayer like this over ourselves, okay? And you can do that inaudibly, you can do that audibly, doesn't really matter. Um, but I want to I provide some space, okay? Um, and I, I want to leave us with just this last thing. Your prayers can be heard because on the cross, Christ's prayers weren't. All right, that's the gospel. I want you to think about that, all right? The cross went to, that Christ went to a cross. He spoke to God and God didn't respond. Because that's true, God can respond to you and me. Because Christ now sits at the right hand of the Father, we have his ear and he has the Father's. And I hope that would change the way that you speak to God. So let me pray for us and then we can pray for one another. Heavenly Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this guide to prayer and ultimately thank you for the great prayer guide, Christ. The one for whom, by whom, and through whom all things were created. Spoken in power into existence. The one for whom, by whom, and through whom all things are being recreated. The same divine power. I pray that we would be a people that understand that truth of the gospel more and more and more i pray that we would be a people that we'd understand what you've done and we look backwards on it and the more we understand it, the more it transforms us and the more you'd use us to transform this world we love you and we pray these things in the name of jesus christ Thanks for listening. To learn more about us or to get connected, please visit embassybtown.org.